Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. you love to see it fanbytes movie review podcast every month we pick a theme and every week we watch a movie and then we decide where it's vhs tape and they are vhs tapes uh, where they belong in our delightful neighborhood video store that means we get to judge whether it's got enough heart soul and brain power to hit our staff pick shelf whether it's no rakakuni but it has the cooking skills to make it to the middle aisle or whether it's nothing but a hot dog fingered fumble and it gets sent straight to the dumpster where it's tax day every day and you need to paper cut four fingers constantly. Working the counter today, we have yours truly. I am Danielle, lesbian, everything bagel, Riendo. We also have my incredible co-host who is here most days with me, Fernanda, existential rock with googly eyes, Prochess. Fernanda, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing great, happy to be here. And I gotta say, being an existential rock with googly eyes, like I've never felt more seen than <laughs> this particular character, which we yeah. will discuss in depth, but happy to be here. We certainly will. And we have a very special guest here today with us uh, to help us discuss this incredible movie. We have Imran Jobu Tupaki Khan. Imran, how are you today? I'm doing well. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here on this Holiest of days, the day where we discuss a truly great movie. I'm just going to fucking say it. A truly great movie. Um, And we kind of just said goodbye to our theme. We were doing Payday May, but this week we're just stepping into a multiverse. And, you know, not like a comic corporation multiverse, not like a branded (laughs) multiverse. More like a wacky, ridiculous, really kind of heartfelt interpretation of the, you know, the sort of many worlds theory. Uh, with everything, everywhere, all at once. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. What's happening? I'm not your husband. I'm another version of one from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today, a whole time to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all of their memories, their emotions, even their skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you, be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. 
I don't believe you. He's waiting in the wings. The universe. He speaks of senseless things. Is so much bigger than you and me. Than you realize. Of all the places I could be. I just want to just share with you. Remember our mission concerning the fate of every single world of our infinite multiverse. No way I am the Evelyn you are looking for. Every rejection, every disappointment has led you here to this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. And we're about to go right into our uh, our first main segment, which is called Setting the Scene, uh, where we introduce the movie at hand and we do a little spoiler-free chat about our history with it. But first, just if, if you happen to be unfamiliar with this movie, here is a brief summary. <clears throat> Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is a sci-fi comedy drama martial arts movie, kind of, uh, about a struggling Chinese-American family. Michelle Yao plays Evelyn, a woman who has made a few tough choices in her life and is now dealing with family pressure, the IRS auditing her business, and a failing marriage. But this is a multiverse movie. We get a peek at other lives Evelyn could have, or maybe simultaneously is living at the same time. But we will get into all of that, at least, you know, most of it. I don't think we can actually handle everything of the everything because we would be here for 10 hours. So we will get into most of it in due time. Uh, but first, we're going to move into our setting the scene segment uh, where I ask my dear co-hosts what their background with the movie is. What it, normally, we watch older movies, so sometimes it's like, oh, I saw it when I was five, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but Imran, I want to start with you. What is your history with the movie? Did you know about it? Did you go into it blind? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I actually, I went into this as blind as I possibly could. There was no, uh, I didn't know anything about it. I just had friends that mentioned like, yeah, you're probably going to want to watch this movie. I think it would speak to you and you, you want to watch it in theaters. So I spent a lot of time like trying to convince my partner, like we should go see this movie because we had been going to Alamo Draft House every week for like a month for some reason, <laughs> because like it just happened to work out that way that we were watching a bunch of movies and like it became this question of during the pandemic, everything is is this the movie that's worth getting COVID for? Because there's, <laughs> there's a possibility every single time I go to the theater that it's going yeah. to be, okay, yeah. yeah, that was a good movie. Really sucks the next two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't worth the COVID. Right. Like, yeah, I agree with you. Yes, that's that's a calculation that had to be right. made. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, the logic was, if Sonic 2 was worth going get, get COVID for, then probably oh, this one will be too. So we yeah. went and saw it and... Yes, that is it my was, answer. If I did get COVID, <laughs> it would have been worth it for this movie. Was it better than Sonic 2, though? That's the real yes. question. <laughs> A little less Jim Carrey, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I got you. I see where you're coming from. I, I appreciate that. Fernando, I want to ask you the same question. What is your history with this movie? Did you go in blind? Did you know a bit about it? Uh, my history with this movie is our wonderful producer, Paul, pestering us. <laughs> I mean, absolutely obsessed with this movie and trying every possible way to get us to watch it, which we uh, was a tried. matter of just, yeah, 
and I we tried to get that. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, I would discuss his absolute obsession because I, honestly, we support passion on this show, and yes. <laughs> we love that he was uh, so so uh, interested, so invested in getting us to talk about it. But we had like logistical issues because uh, it never even got to theaters here in Mexico. But then we finally uh, were able to 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 pull it off. And like you mentioned, we were doing Payday May and it happened to be a five um, a five movie month. And we were just like, you know what, let's ditch the theme and do this yeah. for our wonderful, amazing producer, Paul. And uh, he did not lead us astray. Part of me was kind of like, I hope I dislike the movie. Just <laughs> stir some shit up with Paul. But uh, spoiler alert, I did not dislike it. I am not a, I don't know. Everybody who is not a terrible person probably has something to like about this movie, which we'll get into. But yeah, that was pretty much my thing. And of course, I had read sort of the the rumblings and the, because the, obviously it's a very well-reviewed movie. I think right now it's like 95% on... Uh, Rotten Tomatoes and like 96 yeah. in the public, like eight point something on IMDb. Like it, it really landed really well with everyone. So I kind of had read here and there some stuff about how this crazy movie also happened to be amazing in a very weird way. And nobody wanted to say anything about it because everything felt like spoilers. So that was my, my, uh, my history with it. And I'm glad Paul, basically forced us at <laughs> <laughs> gunpoint you know he, he, he really <laughs> i'm glad because if you're gonna do that with a movie at least it's a very good movie it was a lot of pressure on paul i think he was probably sweating it a little bit last night i'm gonna go ahead and guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, can, I, I can honestly only imagine i, I know paul's paul's here with us He's listening to all of this. Yeah. He was. He was sweating. He was sweating. Alpha I mean, Paul fair. is here. Alpha over. Paul is here. He's jumped into this form. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, I saw a preview for it at an Alamo Drafthouse movie. Um, so I guess that's a little bit like maybe Imran's first exposure here as well. And I was just like, well, I need to see that. That <laughs> looks cool. I, I love the star. I love interesting little weird sci-fi movies. I love little like things about pocket universes, even if I don't necessarily love multiverse stuff. I do like things yeah. that talk about different possibilities and choices in life and so on and so forth, which is thematically kind of what we're dealing with here. So mm -hmm. uh, I went in completely fresh. All I knew was Paul really loved it. Imran really loved it. And a couple of other people in my life really loved it. And that's all I knew. I knew it was like, okay, there's something about universes and I know Michelle Yao's in it, and I know it's supposed to be pretty funny and quirky. And that's about it. That's all I knew. Uh, and then I saw it, and I really loved it. I don't think that's any kind of spoiler. It's a pretty fucking awesome movie. I will say this. I'm almost worried that our conversation will be messier than usual. We we do a lot of pre-production on this podcast. I'll be honest. I'll, I'll pull the curtain back. We do a lot of notes. We do a lot of, like, you know, trying to think about the movie at hand before we kind of go in. And... There's actually so much here that I'm slightly intimidated to talk about it. I'm like, actually slightly like, will we do it justice? <laughs> like, and all we can do, I suppose, is go with the spirit of the movie uh, and say there's a lot of chaos, but you got to do your best. I mean, I guess that's one interpretation, <laughs> maybe <laughs> potential yeah. interpretation of the movie. Uh, and we're going to we're just going to head in. Uh, we're going to go in. 
Uh, and this is, of course, our spoiler-filled stripping it down section. So if you don't want to be spoiled on the movie, and this is almost kind of a, I don't know, I suppose you could spoil this movie, but it wouldn't make sense to anyone yeah, not, exactly not like who didn't know the premise. So like, it'll just sound like bullshit. Uh, if yeah. you, you know, but th- I will say it anyway. We have a spoiler filled section now. We're going to really go in and talk about the themes talk about things we uh, found interesting about this movie, and we're going to keep it to our normal length. We're not going to go on for 10 hours, even though I think we could. Maybe the other Uh, universes, the other versions of us, will still keep going after. They'll just never stop, because there is so much... And it's not a short movie. It's two hours and 20 minutes, just about. Which we already, we've talked about the perfect length for a movie is like 75 to 90. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Always. This one not only is, you know, on the longer side, I'm not saying it's like exceedingly long, but it's on the longer side of a, Mm -hmm. you know, mainstream release. And it also packs in so much that it's actually a little bit tough to, uh, to fully kind of break down, but we're going to do our best. We're going to talk about what we think it's about, and we're going to have a good time. So spoiler-filled section here. Spoiler-filled section. So, Fernando, one of the things that you wrote in your notes here was that it took a while to kind of digest, uh, mm-hmm. which I which I agree with. Do you want to like talk about that aspect a little bit? That just how much is here, how much is on this table in front of us, this giant feast of a movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually, when I'm doing my notes, either I'm I do some like during the movie or like right after because I like to do it when it's fresh, and then I just go back in and kind of like refine it. But I was like staring at the screen and I had no idea what to put down on the notes. <laughs> just mm. like, I don't, I don't think I, I yeah. Like, and, and I still don't think I have anything concrete to say. I kind of, this felt like one of those episodes that we should just come in and be like, you know what? Watch the movie. Bye. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Uh, because I really didn't feel like I had anything Sort of, it was hard to intellectualize the concepts that I was absorbing, if that makes any sense, which for me is weird because I have sort of that kind of brain. Like I don't, I have, I don't just appreciate, I'm not one of those people that just appreciate art and appreciate beauty, like can look at a thing and think it's a beautiful thing and be like, oh, that's nice. I saw a beautiful thing. Like my brain is like, okay, but what does this thing that I just saw mean? And how does it fit within the general context of human existence? Like that's just where my brain goes, uh, which probably explains a lot to the people who have to put up with my bullshit all the time, but that's a whole other conversation. So I was like, okay, there is this obvious theme about, you know, uh, being the Asian American sort of experience, the sort of intergenerational, I don't even want to say intergenerational trauma because I feel like that's such a an overused expression. But uh, yeah, the sort of intergenerational, it works, it works <laughs> yeah. even though they did say that it's a movie about intergenerational love. Uh, but that too, right? The intergenerational dynamics like these very obvious things but there's also so so much else to unpack behind it to me it kind of felt 
like sort of a Rorschach test in a way. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can really project into it whatever you want. And I, this impression got kind of confirmed when I read some uh, interviews with, with the Daniels because uh, they talked about how many things are in this. They talked about this uh, intergenerational love thing I mentioned. They talk about uh, Dan Kwan said that he realized he had uh, undiagnosed uh, adult HDHD after yeah. ADHD, sorry, after uh, watching the movie because, and that a lot of people who have uh, ADHD talked about how that um, how the movie spoke to them from that perspective. He said he read a review from a woman saying the movie felt like it was about menopause and they talked about like white men relating to the sort of uh, marriage aspect of it. So you really can kind of like project a lot and go to so many places um, that to me, it was even hard to kind of like zoom in on one thing or like, you know, yeah. pin down one sort of, uh, one of sort of underlying theme to unpack. And I kind of like felt seen and attacked when I read this quote uh, <laughs> from uh, Dan Kwan because he did mention it in an interview with, uh, I think the website is Film Freak Central. And yeah. it's a bit of an insufferable interview, if I'm being honest, but <laughs> there's some good stuff in there. And he says, uh, I think that what we're trying to do with this film is to destroy, to just kind of smash through all the cynical, deconstructive thought processes that we've kind of built up around ourselves, like a wall shielding ourselves from feeling. But we're shielding us ourselves from experiencing art because we're just trying to pick it apart, understand it, label it before we even have a chance to let it move through you. This movie was very engineered to scramble all those wires. All the intellectual pieces of language you might have to describe a movie are thrown out the window. So early on, you have no other choice but to feel the experience. So I was like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's not just me. <laughs> I they guess was- <laughs> like so- anti-podcaster movie, basically. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know that bit about the ADHD before. And as mm. as someone who has like fairly severe ADHD, that's mm. your brain constantly feels like it's on fire and snowy sure. at the same time. Sure. And like he know, knowing that he has that like undiagnosed adult ADHD and knowing that I really love this movie, just a very moment, like a moment of like, nice. Oh, yeah, I get it. I ex- <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> Honestly, I, I really like that. I, I like that, that sort of connection there too. And I also just, Oh my God. I, I do want to discuss as well, Imran, sort of your top line note. And I know we are probably going to go all over the place just because this movie goes all over the place. But it is yeah. something I, I really do want to want to hear your your take on here because it does uh, begin very, you know, in, in a more mundane setting, right? This this family, they're struggling. Michelle uh, Yao's character, Evelyn, she is struggling. Like, everybody's struggling. Uh, and there is a queer daughter who is trying to introduce her girlfriend to the grandfather. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of miscommunication. There's a lot kind of going on. And Imran, your top line note is that this is like an exploration of grief, uh, of, of being the child of immigrant parents, and also a fantasy of the idea that like your parents will apologize to you for that trauma, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So I definitely want to hear your your thoughts on that, because I I I do think that's like a really major theme here. That is like what we start on here in this movie. And it's a lot of like where we go to, even though we go to a lot of other places too. Yeah. So like the very first things you see in this movie are they are they are having fun as a family. They are like growing up together. They're enjoying their time together. But then it yeah. like hard cuts from that to Evelyn, Michelle Yeoh's character, like 
dealing with things like laundry, maintenance, and taxes. Three <laughs> things that you have to do in life. You yeah. can't yep. avoid those things or you just you can't really function society. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like I've I've tried to talk to my parents about the lives they wanted to lead in America and how because they came here when before I was born, when my mom was 18 and my dad was like 24 and like uh, well over 40 years ago at this point. And the lives they wanted to lead were a lot more like they're happy with the way they things turned out. They they're happy. They had two kids are happy. They had good lives, but mm-hmm. everyone has dreams that they came to a different country or when they do come to a different country, they had these dreams that they want to have. And it doesn't always work out that way. And I think unintentionally or intentionally, you kind of pass on the, the, disappointment of your life not working out the way you expected to your kids Mm -hmm. and my parents tried to raise me in a very specific don't forget your culture kind of way Mm. and that didn't work because the more you try (laughs) to do that the less I'm interested in remembering my culture or caring about any of that and I think one of the reasons I really love this movie and I loved it so much that at the end of the movie I was next to my partner and literally just bawling in my seat oh yeah uh that one of the reasons I loved it is because it spoke to me on that idea of my parents didn't try to do any of the things that I consider trauma in my life. Mm. They don't, they didn't try to make me feel bad because I didn't get all A's on a report card. They did. It did happen. Like mm. they, right. they, that, that was just part of the thing of growing up with Asian parents is that there's a societal expectation of the grades you're supposed to have and the life you're supposed to live. They didn't, they wanted me to be a lawyer and I became a video game journalist and I'm sure as successful as I am at that, it's not what they had in mind, but they didn't try to like, it's, it wasn't abuse or anything, right. but it's, it's things that you, when your life doesn't go the way you want it to, you tend to exude that to the world and you don't Mm. realize it. Mm -hmm. And I think watching Evelyn kind of struggle with this idea of she tried to be a singer. She tried to be, she wanted to be a martial artist in some (laughs) point in her life. She wanted to, you know, what if she was a sign spinner? What if she was a cook? And I think I've had those thoughts. I've had, what if I took this path? What if I did become mm-hmm. a lawyer? What if I did become the doctor? What, and my, I'm sure my mom and my dad have had those paths too. And it like, it was just a fascinating idea to think about. They went through these things too. They didn't mean to put those problems on me, but they did. And I think the only thing, I think the thing this movie gets across to me that I wish we could have all done in our lives is, when Evelyn and Joy try to, like, they try to find common ground, but they can only appear in their own selves in every universe. They can see yeah. what the different choices they would have led. The only thing they really want is to be able to appear in each other's shoes. Mm-hmm. That 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 would help them. And I think if I had done it with my parents, so my parents had done that with me, we would have had different lives or different relationships entirely. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, I I left the movie wishing... I left the movie and I went home and I called my mom. And oh. I was like, yeah. we didn't talk about the movie or anything like that. I just was like, hey, how are you doing? How are you, like, yeah. are you doing okay? And my mom was like, hey, you haven't called in like a week. What's up with that? And I was like, <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, I, it, it made me realize it, it's not about wishing we had a different relationship. It's about appreciating that we had a relationship at all. Yeah. 
It's interesting because obviously with your experience is very specific. Like you said, there is a, a layer to like uh, the sort of um, the immigrant, uh, the emotional layer that comes with that, which obviously as an immigrant now, I understand it as much uh, as as something heavier than it kind of looks from the outside. But I didn't have that with my my uh, mom and dad. But it's also, and what we were talking about, the sort of universality of the movie, right? It speaks to just the basic dynamics of mothers and children, right? And kind of what you said, like my mom, for instance, my parents, um, they didn't set out to, like you said, inflict trauma or anything like that. But uh, my mo- like, for instance, my mom had me very young and she had all these, again, these dreams and these ideas that she never got to fulfill. And I, for a long time, blamed myself because I was like, if I hadn't been born when my mom was 24, uh, she would have been able to do all those things. And uh, I also felt that what you're saying, right? Like the idea of of have carrying the weight of some of those unfulfilled dreams. And that's again, a very, I think universal experience. And what I like about this movie being centered on Michelle's character on the mom, I think she gives it a lot of a dimension. We're so used to like having the younger, right? This, the daughter, the teenage or young adult character sort of being the central of it. And we all tend to look at moms and especially older moms in, I think, a very dehumanizing light still. Mm-hmm. Like it's getting better, obviously, as a society on that sense. But we tend to really think of these characters like Michelle's as sort of the vessels for the expectations and frustrations of the other characters. Like even when they have the moment of mutual understanding, uh, it comes as a flash from the mother's perspective. I kind of feel like the narrative is often centralized in the other characters. And what I kind of love about this movie is that you can empathize with all of them and you can understand sort of all of it and understand Michelle's, uh, the, the, the Evelyn's, um, frustrations and see her as this really multi literally multi-dimensional <laughs> since she exists in several dimensions yeah. <laughs> uh dimensional character so it's very interesting like obviously um i did i feel like the emotional impact is obviously much larger with people who can absolutely relate to that experience uh like you imran but like again like the richness of it for me is in the fact that also you can take these themes and they feel very universal uh, even without those specific aspects of their sort of existence. Yeah, I, I want to say I did an interview once when I worked at a queer <laughs> a queer website uh, with a filmmaker who talked about, like, the more specific you make an experience, the more universal it'll feel because it'll just mm. feel real. And people True. just kind of gravitate towards a sense of reality and the things that people really experience. And, you know, of course, I, I am not Chinese-American. I'm not Asian-American. I'm not any of these things. But I... I certainly had some moments myself with the queer daughter and with like coming out Mm. to, you know, to family and having some real awkwardness about like, what do I call my partner to my family, you know, to older Mm -hmm. family members or things like that, that really hit. Uh, And there's like a really, you know, kind of, kind of an inciting incident. I mean, my God, the whole movie is an inciting incident. (laughs) 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 Right. But like one of the, the main sort of things that happens is that the mother, um, you know, says that, um, Becky, uh, Joy's girlfriend, is like a close friend, you know, to her elderly father that she has tried to, you know, impress her entire life and really obviously upsets Joy. And Joy kind of runs away and, and they have a, another moment of like not understanding each other. And 
There's even a line about like, you, you know, you're lucky. Your mother's open to you dating girls. Like there's this like conditional mm-hmm. acceptance about it. Like, oh, you know, I'm not that old. I'll accept you, but not grandpa. You know, that kind of thing like kind of happens there. Um, and there is like a really lovely payoff to that later on in the movie when we do go back to our kind of, I almost, I want to go, like the vanilla universe. I don't know. <laughs> like the boring <laughs> universe, right? The only kind of universe that is close to ours. filled universe. Yeah. <laughs> right, the, the universe with taxes. You know, because everything else is hot dog fingers and butt plugs and, and you know, rocks and puppets and, and crazy shit <laughs> happening, right? And Rakakuni. Um, <laughs> happening, you know. Um, <laughs> but there's that lovely payoff at the end where, you know, uh, Gong Gong, uh, Grandpa, like, it kind of accepts Becky, like, girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know. And, like, you know, Becky doesn't understand what he's what he's saying necessarily, but she smiles. And there you have, like, a beautiful moment. And, like... Later on, you know, Becky is helping the family with the tax thing by giving everybody a ride. It's like, you know, the slight insult that is meant to be very caring goes towards Becky. And that's like, oh, that's a sign of love and acceptance. (laughs) You know, like she's part of the family now. She's going to be told to grow her hair, you know, whatever. Which in itself is, of course, a a complicated thing. But it it feels complicated in a way that does feel like a lived experience and like a very real way of putting something in a very real way of, you know, kind of showcasing something. So I... I, I wasn't like bawling, but I was definitely like I was tearing up myself, you know, during this and just feeling like, oh, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> you know, I was making like very high pitched noises uh, <laughs> as I do uh, when I'm very touched by something. So it's it really is a movie that that plays in extremes, like extreme absurdity and also like extremely real themes, right? Very real themes and very real kinds of uh, like lived emotions and very strong emotions and a sense of bonding and a sense of love and a sense of finding the only grounding moments in life in love and in those bonds, Mm -hmm. even if they are very imperfect and very fucked up in some ways. So yeah, I, God, I love this movie. Um, (laughs) One of the reasons this like, this is not a, a, obviously an intentional thing they could have done in any way. But uh, a reason I love this movie is the googly eyes because mm-hmm. yeah. in, my, my partner and I used to date long distance because it would just, she lived farther away. And mm-hmm. we, when you meet someone that you're compatible with, you don't really consider distance as the main thing really. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we were dating long distance. And one of the times I came over to stay with her for a little while, I brought a bag of googly eyes. And I started sticking it on a bunch of things in her apartment. And the ground rules were, don't put it on the cats, but everything else is good. Uh, And like most of the googly eyes fell off of her moving and stuff like that. But the the two on her Xbox stayed for, I want to say they're still there. Like now that we we have an apartment together and they're still just on the Xbox in our shared entertainment center. But like it... The speech uh, Evelyn was giving to Waymond when she starts thinking about the googly eyes, mm-hmm. which have their own symbolism within the movie and all that, as like yeah. they are, you know, their optimism, their empathy, they're, you know, they're the inversion of a bagel, essentially. Yep. That it made me think, because I was sitting next to my partner and I was kind of tearing up because oh. we are at some point in the next like year or so getting married. And yeah. this, it is, she is for me the the person in my life that like grounds me that uh mm-hmm. that makes me happy that is there to make sure i don't become someone who succumbs to nihilism and uh mm-hmm. a lack of empathy and stuff like that so that hit me very hard of i 
can't believe that there's a actually incredibly specific to us thing in this movie. <laughs> the googly eye. <laughs> I love. Yes. I love that. Like I really That's love that. Amazing, That's amazing. So awesome. <laughs> Are you sure the other universe you wasn't involved in the making of this? <laughs> Maybe it's other universe you sending yourself a message. I'm just gonna so, say. It's it's very funny because like I think there's a the the Daniels the directors of the movie mm-hmm. like they were vi- they were clearly directors who were trained on the idea of YouTube or trained on the generation of YouTube sure and I think that probably speaks to people like of our generation a lot better because mm-hmm. we start seeing these things of their references to that movie too like the Jackass movie with like the paper cuts and stuff like that yeah and I think we're all having like this weird shared trauma is probably an overused word to use at this point but like shared trauma that we're all spilling out at the same time mm-hmm. and i think that's that's kind of what this movie is to a lot of people and like you mentioned Fernanda, it's the it's the rorschach test but it's a rorschach test very specifically to a generation uh we're all looking at this being like okay i understand the references but i also understand like the emotions behind what you're trying to do and say here mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and a lot of the i, I can't help but be really wowed and stunned by the visuals of course yeah, of themselves course. and the editing and like just how perfectly edited a lot of joy's wilder i don't even want to call them fantasy her, her manipulations of matter i guess in the various universes where she'll have like giant dildos in one second <laughs> and then like you know ridiculous like you know making people explode into confetti in the next and sh- there's one scene where she's falling down the stairs and like on every stair hit her outfit changes and like the colors change and and everything kind of changes. Like it really is this algorithmic kind of feeling like, Oh, if you put YouTube like in an insane blender and then like put it in one character, this is sort of what's happening. And obviously she moves towards nihilism and she moves towards this sense of wanting emptiness because there's too much. Like there's that, that's kind of what's going on there, of course. Um, But my God, the visuals and like, the amount of visuals, like, first of all, it was overwhelming. <laughs> and at times, <laughs> yeah. you know, during watching this, I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, it's a lot. Like, there's <laughs> just so much happening to my eyeballs and my my brain right now. Again, very intentionally. I think every choice in this movie is very intentional. It feels like a movie that was made, you know, with a lot of love, not just meant to be random for randomness sake, but elements that felt random, but are, you know, certainly put together in, in a really particular way. Mm-hmm. It. it it just shocked me how inventive it was. And a lot of that inventiveness went towards the humor, which I Mm -hmm. really do want to talk about. I do want to know where other people maybe found something cloying instead of funny and where other people laughed their ass off because I cackled at points during this movie. I like physically was like cackling watching this. I love the humor. Like, honestly, I went into it kind of expecting not to love it because it's kind of here's the thing i will forever be an asshole who kind of wants to disagree with people like that's just i've been working against this side of me for my whole life but it's always a little bit there and this i don't like try hard things i don't like over intellectual things as we've discussed several times on this uh show so i i tended to 
I got went into thinking like this one is going to be one of those try hard things that people read way too much into. I don't like <laughs> multiverse, not in the way it's been recently explored. Like I was already like getting ready to, <laughs> to like be kind of annoyed by it. And I think why the reason and I agree with you, like there were moments where the visual like richness of it, it bordered on overload. But I feel sure. like what works, what makes all of it work is this balance of the sentimental um, aspects of it, which could have been corny if it wasn't for the humor and the visual. I feel like they it's truly a feat to be able to marry all these aspects so well. And I feel like the fact that they went so hard with the humor yeah, it's fucking bizarre, like Rekakuni. It's a raccoon. It's a universe in which Ratatouille, which the Ratatouille is not the rat's name, by the way. I don't remember the actual rat's it's name. It's Remy, right? Remy. Remy yes. Yeah. Uh, this beloved uh, part of, of movie history. The rat is actually a raccoon, and the raccoon is bigger than it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and you're looking at this, and then like, hot dog fingers and there's oh, a guy jumping naked on a butt plug because <laughs> that's the jumping pad to a different and there's <laughs> you know michelle yo fighting in the middle of this so seriously um it's if it wasn't this bizarre i don't feel like it would have counteracted properly all of the very extreme elements of the movie. Kind of like you said, Danielle, this movie really operates on the extremes. And I feel like all the elements had to be overdone for it to work the way that it did. So I really appreciated all the stupid moments of humor. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, I love that this movie has gone this stupid. Like, I love it. Yeah. This is exactly, this is a movie after my own heart. Like, yes, they're like intellectual and conceptual and like whatever else, but it's also just fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And there's a, they, are, they also directed Swiss Army Man, which I haven't watched, but the premise is that Daniel Radcliffe is a farting corpse on an island. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> Yeah. It's, <laughs> Everything just pays off so well. Like yeah. like you said, the hot dog fingers is just like this weird joke <laughs> that turns out to be one of the most emotional parts of the movie. Yeah. Like I could not if if you walked in without context on the the silent scene of the rocks, I could yeah. not explain to you why the fact that she turns around and has googly eyes is actually like emotionally <laughs> powerful. Yeah. But it is. Like it becomes a thing that's like, this is a funny, funny joke. That is like actually hitting me in the heart. The the only thing I think that didn't work well, and I think this is because some scenes were cut, is oh, the Jenny Slate stuff. Oh, the like, lady, the, the dog lady. The yeah. yeah, that they call her big nose, and then like <laughs> oh, that yeah. just kind of it. Like I think you see her; she's supposed to be in the fight scene at the end, and oh. Evelyn is supposed to apologize to her for like, "Hey, I shouldn't have called you that." Like you know, yeah. And, mm -hmm. But I. I just don't think it worked in the actual final cut of the film. I'm very mm. eager for this movie to come out on Blu-ray so I can watch <laughs> what I assume is like a half an hour longer film. Yes. And that's the one time I will say yes to that because I hate <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, this is me. I will forever think this movie, that any movie could have like 15 minutes less. Um, sure. I still think, I think we could have trimmed it in parts. Not gonna lie. But, 
But yeah, so I'm curious. And now that you said it, I kind of agree that uh, I love Jenny's late, uh, Jenny Slate storyline just because it's ridiculous. But um, it does feel like kind of gratuitous, uh, yeah, sure, in a way. Yeah. So I do agree that now that you like mentioned that there were cutscenes, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this could have gone gotten more closure. And then again, like. I just watched it yesterday and there was so much to digest that I kind of forgot all about that particular story. <laughs> uh, I do want to, before we move on, make an observation about the rocks because I found this uh, completely bizarre. So they, in that same interview that I mentioned to uh, Film Freak Central, um, they talked about, so the they were kind of like thinking that they were going to run into some trouble with some markets as far as like censorship mm. went and stuff, because the film kind of like dives into uh, all these sort of quote unquote controversial themes. Uh, but I'm going to read the quote exactly because you need the impact of it. So the other Daniel who isn't Dan Quan, Daniel Scheinert, I want to say his name is, I don't know. Well, Daniel, not Quan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, um, we had this funny experience where we knew it was kind of provocative movie and that might be an issue because there'd also be an international audience for, you know, uh, Michelle's a star around the globe. So we've been having this conversation about censorship with distributing the movie. And we knew that the gay story was going to be tough, but also going to be really hard to cut out by design. That kind of excites me. And it's like, it's just there, deal with it. But then the sex toys, it's like, all right, even if you blur them out, the movie's intact. But we had one territory cut out the rocks and i was like what <laughs> and we were like and then kwan uh, steps in we were horrified the movie's garbage without the rocks um <laughs> the other daniel says why on earth would you cut the rocks they're the sweetest and the answer it turns out is that it's a pretty religious country and that the way those rocks explicitly talk about meaninglessness is like essentially they're talking about there being no god you know and their censorship board was like we can't put this out not with the rocks it's not even the taboo stuff that scared them. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's a very, I, I felt that wild because immediately it was like the rocks, like that's where you cut out. Right. And then, yeah, it makes sense. Like girls kissing, like it's 20, 22, whatever, but like confronting people with like godlessness. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> that a was a bridge too far. It, it it does. It makes sense in a way that like that story almost feels like part of the movie, right? That like thinking about mm -hmm. it this way makes so much sense to like, yes, in this universe that we live in, some countries, you know, might feel very upset about thinking about godlessness. And it's like, okay, that, that tracks. Yeah, it I tracks mean, in the way that so many things track in this movie, even if mm -hmm. they are, you know, on their face, like might seem a little bit bizarre right yeah. yeah then Quan was like uh he said in the end let people kiss so they like to kiss but yeah i can understand why i'd be upset about meaning meaninglessness mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah as a very nihilistic person myself like i've nothing spoke to me more than the rocks yeah. uh but i can understand how they how that would be upsetting it's interesting because when it cuts to the rocks because it's very sudden, right? Like they're going into, if I recall correctly, they're going into they're like um, Joy, who's not Joy, Jobu, is going into the idea of like the everything bagel and you have all this stimuli and all this, like you're seeing everything, you're everywhere, da, 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 cuts it to rocks. And I feel like that's such a metaphor for the movie as well. Like 
I was trying to put myself into this sort of condition that uh, Evelyn was put in. And it's kind of like, okay, if you were confronted with this concept, right? Like if right now you realize that you were leading all these other lives, that you are all these other people and that the current you is, by the way, the shittiest you there is out there in all these universes. <laughs> Yeah, that, upsetting that hit that hit hard yeah. <laughs> that was that was harsh i'd be a little like be the worst like none of them are like i don't know libertarians or anything but um <laughs> i <laughs> but i was kind of like when you're confronted with this idea right like your brain my tendency is to go to the extreme nihilistic then nothing i feel like there's kind of two avenues there, right? The avenues of infinite potential and infinite possibilities and everything, like even the shittiest you being like a vessel or like just having all this infinite room for growth and development. And that's beautiful, but that's not where my brain goes. Like, I feel like if I was uh, confronted with this reality all of a sudden, I would absolutely turn into a rock and not the googly eyed one, the other rock. The suicidal rock, because it's kind of like, it's also very easy for your brain to like, okay, so if I have access to everything, if this is all, you know, like, it's even hard to put into words. It's like, if I have access to all this knowledge, to all these lives, to all this kind of like stimuli, if I can be all these things, if I am all these things, then nothing matters. And I would sleep into nothingness. And then... You have the other side of it, the side of hope, the side of like fighting with love or whatever. So to me, it was like the rocks made made such a like, I don't know, like they said, the movie would suck without the rocks. I agree. I feel like they're <laughs> the part that really grounded me in the experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love also, Imran, your note about bagels and googly eyes being inverted. And like, who is the bagel and who is the googly eye and who needs to like come around to becoming a googly eye or like a partial googly eye. Like there's something really wonderful about that as well. And like, again, the specificity of the objects used. It's yeah, like a a bagel. You you think about everything around an area and just like like you miss the center of it. Mm -hmm. The googly eye is just like you're only thinking about the the middle, the the actual like. So like Wayman makes a point to when he's dealing with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis to treat her with empathy to bring her cookies and everyone's like why are you doing this like this person's making our life miserable why are you making her cookies and it turns out because if you do something nice for someone they're more likely to give you some slack or yeah. you're more likely to empathize with them and mm-hmm. like the the show our movie as a whole does a great job of just inundating you with circles circles mm-hmm. every like the laundry match is circles like Evelyn surrounded by circles around her, the googly eyes, all that stuff. One of my favorites was I counted, like I realized very early on, oh, there's just circles everywhere. And I saw the circle on Jamie Lee Curtis's necklace. She has like a ring just on there. You don't find out till much later. That's because she used to be divorced and her husband cheated on her. And she just hates like relationships and empathy and all that now. And I like the idea that, Okay, even though you have a little symbolism, sometimes these things people have symbols of are representations of the memories they don't want to think about anymore, but still mm. can't really let go. And I I really like that idea that we choose what they mean for us. Like for Joy and Evelyn, it was a bagel of nihilism. And for <laughs> Waymond, it was a a googly eye that makes people happy. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I I've, I also read this in your notes, and I think that's a very like 
interesting way to look at it and also like things you never really thought in your life that you're gonna be discussing <laughs> like, yeah bagels and googly eyes are kind of opposite concepts <laughs> I, I heard a quote once i might have been on a podcast years ago or whatever but it, like came into my mind a lot during this movie was all interesting movies are either puzzles or dreams and oh, this movie is just it's so uninterested in being a puzzle it yeah. just wants to be a dream. It it gives you rules, but it gives you rules so Evelyn could just break them immediately. Yeah. And it, then it's up to like me as the viewer being like, okay, but what if you were a puzzle though? What can I puzzle out about what you're trying to tell me and what you're trying to say? And the answer is whatever you want, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you want to feel from this, whatever you're thinking, whatever you yeah. think the symbols mean, that's what they mean to you. Yeah. And that's hard to pull off, right? To to do all of this and not come across incredibly pretentious, incredibly overbearing, right? Like they, that's to me the real triumph of the movie. Like you do all of this and it, it's clear what you're trying to do and you're putting all these elements in and it still doesn't come across like something. And I talked about this when we discussed the Green Knight, uh, yeah. which uh, as a reminder for everyone, I truly fucking hate it. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because to me, it is one of those movies that is just like, look how like it wasn't as bad as the other uh, from the same director Ghost, But that was kind of like I disliked. I, I I have a tough time sort of like wanting to like a movie that's just like, look how smart I am. And, yeah. you know, you have to be smart to understand me. Only smart people understand this. And this could it was it would have been so easy for everything everywhere all, all at once to kind of feel that way. And it doesn't because it ends up being so charming and so interesting and the choices are so good. So, yeah, I just like him. I kind of wanted to dislike it and I just couldn't bring myself to do it, which is a it's a triumph, I would say, even though the world doesn't revolve around me and they don't need me to <laughs> like it in particular. I will say this. I was describing I, I immediately had to describe the sort of butt plug fighting scene to my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> she does not like movies about multiverses or anything yeah, that's like same. reality is fucked up. It just like fucks with her in a mm -hmm. way. And I totally respect that. It just like scares her on a level that she's just not about that. Um, so, you know, she, she did not want to see this, but she's, you know, she's interested in things about it, but did not want to see it. And I was like, I need to tell you about a scene in this movie about like butt plug fighting. And, you know, I described the whole thing and, and she's like, wow, that sure is a thing that happened in a movie. Right. And then, and then she was like, why do these things happen in this movie? And I kind of sat there and I was like, because all we have are specks of time where things make sense. <laughs> like I said, whatever the, I, I, I know I'm, I'm misappropriating it now. I'm not, I'm, I'm misquoting it now, but like whatever that line was, that's yeah. like really beautiful. And she like, she said, aw, I like that. And it was like a moment of like, I somehow didn't fuck this up, you know, at, in the moment explaining this to my girlfriend about like, this fucking ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous scene mm -hmm. that I cracked up at and like truly thought was a very amusing scene. Like, oh, how do you get great at martial arts? You shove a giant dildo up your ass. You're great at martial arts. Like just something about this was very funny to me. I don't know. I'm a child. Anyway, it's subjectively funny. The minute the book plug base got appearance, I was like, funny. I'm that kind of you person know. that sees 69 and says noise. Like it's, aren't we all deep down? I feel like yeah. everybody left at the butt plug scene. Like, if you're alive, you thought if you're alive, you thought it was funny. 
That, I yeah. mean, like, that and Rekakuni, I don't know how you can't <laughs> laugh at these things. Like, that was so fucking funny. Like, to oh me, again, God, I like so absurd funny. shit, but it's so funny. But, like, these things exist in the same movie, and they exist on the same plane in the movie. The movie yeah. does not say one thing is better than the other. Mm-hmm. The movie does not say that, like, the moments of real, you know, very genuine emotion and trauma and love and ecstasy and misery and all of these things are not more important than fucking butt plug fighting, like, or <laughs> dog fighting, or raccoonie, yeah. or, like, you know, the the man being spanked, and that made him happy. That was fighting with love for him, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like, all of these things. Like, I actually genuinely think it's kind of wonderful the way, like, sex toys are used in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're, they're very funny. They're very, very funny things. They're funny objects to have in this sort of random way. But also, it's kind of like... Like the rest of the movie, we're just kind of accepting these things. These are not like, it's almost funny, like, you know, kind of going back to the interview where they talked about like, we really thought like that was going to bother people. Like the the queer story and like having, you know, giant dongs everywhere and things like that was going to like, that would be the problem. But maybe not. Like it's just yeah, it's like not like oh, objects. The butt yeah. plug is a shameful object, or it's hilarious. Right. Like, no, it's kind of like it's funny because we're all like at a lessons and it's a funny sight, but also right. it's just an object. So it's like it's just I, there. I agree with you. Yeah. It's yeah. very interesting. There's an interview on Rotten Tomatoes with um, uh, Michelle, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, and by the way, they profess their love for each other, and it's oh, amazing. Oh my god, I a beautiful moment. Need to see this immediately. Yeah, and. Um, Michelle talks about like the film sort of how it broke her brain and how she kind of collapsed on the floor after the butt plug scene. Cause she was just like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and I would imagine being an actor in a movie like this, how much faith you gotta yeah. have on the people <laughs> directing and editing. Because imagine as an actor, you don't have access to the, f- we know it looks amazing, but imagine yeah. you just told you're, so you're going to be putting this guy on your shoulders to run after his <laughs> chef raccoon. <laughs> Chad needs his raccoon. He really loves his <laughs> raccoon. He's not just using it to get ahead. Like, they really are friends. So you're just told these it's bits and pieces, and you have to really commit, and there's a lot of commitment, right? So I just imagine being an actor in a situation like this, how absolutely wild it must be, and how trusting you have to be like, oh, okay, like, I'm sure this little, like, I'm sure that, that you know, the scene in which I'm having, I have dildos for hands is just going to really... <laughs> work out in the end it's all really gonna uh, come together i and i i can't not think as well of the the hot dog fingers romance here <laughs> with like i i just how fucking ridiculous and absurd it is at first and then it becomes so poignant like it mm-hmm. becomes like about real love and about this playing a piano piece and understanding like in this wild universe where we have hot dog fingers we get great with our feet. And there's like a moment, like just one little shot where the Jamie Lee Curtis hot dog romance woman. I don't, I don't know what everybody's <laughs> name is in every universe, but you know, what, what, her, she's crying. She has like the single tear and Evelyn like wipes it so gently with a toe. Like it's, <laughs> again, these things 
are so heightened and everything is so heightened in the movie. Every piece of this movie is in orbit around fucking Mars, but they're all equal. They're all like equal in our experience as human beings, as, yeah. as you, beings with brains that have to process way too much information that we could never fully process, that we could never fully do this. At least I'm seeing this as a metaphor. I guess this is my Rorschach test here that like, this is a pretty direct metaphor to, for living right now in an age of, tons of misinformation and too much information and too much stuff going on and too much stimulation and potentially having, you know, issues with your brain and all kinds of stuff kind of going on that like all of it is important actually. And you get to decide what, what is the most important when you make your bonds and, you know, have your relationships with people, et cetera. Uh, I, one thing I want to say before we close this out is I, I commissioned a cross stitch artist to, Make a cross stitch of in another life. I would have loved to do laundry and taxes with you, oh <laughs> so I can God. frame that and put uh, it in my in my doorway. Uh, that oh, that is God. beautiful. That is a beautiful line. I was like, <laughs> it. Every I time it. I see someone put it on Twitter, I just get, kind of get choked up again. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> probably not a natural reaction to have <laughs> several weeks after. It is. Movie. That's the most beautiful thing anybody <laughs> can say to another person. Honestly, yeah. I, I love that line so much because Evelyn goes to the movie thinking Waymond would have been nothing without me. Mm-hmm. It turns out, no, he would have been fine, but he still would have wanted you. He still, his life wasn't empty, but mm-hmm. just because it's, done, it's not empty doesn't mean it couldn't have been, could not have been improved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The love story to me, feels very real in that, in that aspect too, right? It's not, it's not romantic love in the way that we're used to seeing it. Um, And it's kind of like what you said, like when she goes back and realizes, oh, I could have been this really big star and he would have uh, been just fine. And the visuals of those that scene was amazing. It was like an homage to uh, a mood for love, which I've never seen. But I know the the, like very Mm, praised for the beautiful visuals and stuff. And it it really was. Um, It was kind of a message of. On his um, side, women's side, like, I don't need you, but I picked you. Like, I don't need you, Mm. but I want you. And that, to me, is the most romantic kind of love, right? I feel like we're so used to romanticizing this idea of uh, needing people, of, like, being incomplete without people. And I feel like the sincerest form of love really is, like, I don't need you. I'm fine without you, but, like, I'd be better if you were here. And the laundry in Texas thing, right? Like, that's why it goes so hard because it's like, these are the two worst things that people can think about doing ever (laughs) in their lives. Apart from like, I don't know, sitting next to a person who wants to describe their dream from last night in detail. And it's like, (laughs) he he still would have wanted it. And I feel like the love story kind of gets smothered a bit. Uh, on all the message right and I think the main relationship really ends up being the one between Joy and Evelyn but it's really beautiful it ends up being like a very beautiful sweet love story that also feels realistic and it's one of the other like several universes that we as viewers can explore to here with the meanings yeah absolutely and I also just love that like he didn't even he didn't even want the divorce. He just did that because it's the only way to get her attention. Like, there's something both very fucked up and also very, like, understandable about something like that. Where mm-hmm. he's like, I only did this because my friends have a better relationship because one of them got divorce papers and that made them actually talk. It also makes me think, like, oh, no. 
heteros, are you okay? But also, that's just me. That's just me. I'm sorry. We're not, Danielle. We're not. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry to make everything gay. I'm happily married, but still, we're not okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I uh, yeah. it, And it's another way that we empathize with all the characters, right? Because Evelyn is an asshole to him. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah. she is. Yeah, she just kind of orders him around a little bit. And like, I, I know he's like supposed to be a bit of a goofy guy. He has a fanny pack everywhere he goes. I get it. We also get that badass fanny pack moment, which is delightful. Are fanny packs course, back yeah. too? Like, isn't Oof. I don't know. The youths are wearing fanny packs now. I've heard. I don't know. Oh, are they back? Okay, <laughs> I wouldn't. know. I've I'm heard. five thousand years old. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you you feel you feel like she's an asshole to him, right? Like even in the moment when she's like, "He basically, I should have shouldn't have married you. Like I should have yeah. listened to my dad. Like the reason why my life sucks is you." So. But you also understand why she's acting that way. She's a person who's deeply frustrated and, you know, under a lot of stress and didn't get to live the life that she wanted. So you get to empathize with women, you get to empathize with her, you get to empathize with joy. It's very like those subtleties, like really amid all the absurdity is kind of where the gold is. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody in this movie ends up looking like a bad person, except maybe the grandfather. But like, also, we don't really know his deal. He, he did a <laughs> shitty thing, but we don't like maybe that was yeah. just culturally relevant for him at the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Chad cheated. Sure. But he really loved Rakakuni. So it's yes. like, you know, if you really- <laughs> in, the, in the first scene where you see him, you can see the raccoon tail sticking out the back of his like hat. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> It looks notice. like a ponytail at first, but like, oh, wait, now I, I know what that is. Oh, I love that so much. I, I did not pick up on that. I can't wait to watch this movie. Something I, I put in my notes was I can't wait to watch this movie every year and find something new every time, every time, every time. And like that is both a really exciting prospect and also a kind of an exhausting one. Again, we're talking about like a this is a this is a meaty watch. A rich yeah. text, genuinely. <laughs> we talk about rich texts all the time. We talked about Batman and Robin being a rich text last week. <laughs> uh, this one is, I would say, maybe richer. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say they, they operate in very different frequencies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are frankly the two the two types of superhero movie, if you even want to call this that, that I would ever like to see. So you know, I'm I'm batting a thousand right now. I'm very happy. Um, I did want to ask if anybody wanted to talk about anything else before we go to shelf life, which I I think I know where it's going to end up on the shelf. So mm-hmm. if we if we want to make any other points before we kind of wrap up, I'm I'm open to some some more points here. I I think my only like last point is that yeah, I I really like the fact that the lesson from this movie is not just say the thing that your the other person wants to hear. Mm. It's be supportive of whatever choice they make. And if that is giving them the choice to let it go, let them go, let them live their own life. And that's something you kind of have to deal with. But if it is, if it is just giving them that choice and letting them come back to you, then that's a, that's a good way to have that relationship and on their terms as well. Yeah. As Christina Aguilera once said, they say, if you love something, let it go. (laughs) (laughs) If it comes back as yours, that's how, you know, she taught me a lot. Christina. Yeah, she truly was a genie in a bottle. <laughs> Christina! 
but I absolutely agree with you. My last thing uh, now sounds kind of stupid. It's not profound at all, but I just wanted to like, I don't feel like it needs to be said how this part could not have, I don't know, can tell in another universe if somebody else had played this part, if it would have been amazing. But I just feel like this is a part of a lifetime and this is a performance of a lifetime. Um, and it, it, and I read like in an interview when they talked about the sort of idea of a love letter and how this was kind of a love letter for, is it Michelle Yeo? 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 Yo, how do you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Michelle Yeo. Um, how it was sort of a love letter to her in a way and how thankful she was for, for the part later. But it, it really is. It, it was to me, like to me, sometimes when you see somebody just really, excel at a thing whether it's sports or uh when we talked about mad max and we were just like going crazy over george miller like to me this is one of those situations where i want to cry watching a person be so good at a thing i just to me that's like michelle yo in this movie and everybody else by the way like all the performances are absolutely outstanding her daughter joy stephanie i think it's you pronounce chu her last name but mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I pronounce every name wrong. It's my thing. It's my quirky thing. Um, it Everybody's just really, truly, like, amazing. Even Jenny Slate, with the little she was given. It's yeah, true. <laughs> it's interesting to think about, because, like, the movie... So th- they originally wrote that part for Jackie Chan. And uh, he, oh, he, wow. He, they, they're like, he couldn't, he's not going to be able to do it. And except, like, it was supposed to be Aquafina as the daughter, but she... Uh, there was some scheduling conflicts, so very late in the production, she actually ended up like, or very late in pre-production, she actually ended up giving up for that role. There's a multiple, um, there's another universe somewhere where yeah. those two are in that movie, and it's a much worse movie because of it. Because these two definitely did a much better job than I think anyone yeah. else could have. Oh my god, I was, I'm crushing on Stephanie real hard now. Like, oh, that's yeah. my life now. It was absolutely amazing. She was on Aquafina's show too, I think, for at least a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, like the the casting, like just chef's kiss and Jamie Lee Curtis. Whoever was like, let's get Jamie Lee Curtis for this assassin yeah. auditing lady who also happens to be a hot dog fingered lesbian lover. Love it for us. Let's do it. And I, yeah. it's just genius. Whoever, like, I be, I will read and watch more things about it, but like. The I need an incursion to the brain, to the brains of the people involved in this. Oh my god, yeah, that was something I I couldn't stop thinking about as I was watching this myself. It's like, how did this get made? <laughs> genius, genius! Like I just kept thinking, like how did the, how did this get made? How did this get made? This is incredible. Uh, just very excited that this was made, uh, the way it was, and doing mm-hmm. the things that it does for sure. I'm so happy. I suppose maybe the idea of fighting with love is something that really spoke to me as like a really corny person. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna move on to shelf life. This is where we decide. Uh, and uh, Imran, in case you don't know, we have a very interesting staff big shelf. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this is where we decide uh, if uh, you know, we're the movie, we're the VHS tape 
specifically belongs in our video store. If it's a bona fide staff pick displayed proudly, if it's a middle aisle placement, which again, there is a, a whole continuum of the middle aisle. There yeah. are good middle aisle movies that we think are great movies. They're just not like favorite favorites. And then there's things like Batman 1989, which is sniffing at the dumpster. And then there is, of course, <laughs> the dumpster. A very where it just that's where movies we do not like go, and it doesn't smell good in there, not at all. And Wild Wild West is the only movie there. Still the only movie there, but there have been a couple that came real close. Yeah. They were like absolute dumpster picks for one of us, but the other one wasn't as passionate about it being in the dumpster. So we usually have to be fairly passionate about something going in the dumpster. Yeah. But typically we we like, you know, we figure out where, where something should be collectively, uh, hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Now I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say this is going to be a staff <laughs> pick. It's a staff pick for me. It sounds like it might be a staff pick for everybody, but I'm going to let y'all talk too. Like, what, what do y'all think? Where should we put this beautiful VHS tape? For me, the highest praise I can give this movie is that I'm going to buy a Blu-ray, which is a thing <sighs> I don't do for any other, like that, the <laughs> yep. Blu-ray, my Blu-ray library is like, the Iron Giant Shawshank Redemption and probably this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say, do they nice. still make Blu-rays? That's wild. Nice. Nice. I love it. It is high oh, praise. It, mm-hmm. Paul, our producer, just said the Holy Trinity, <laughs> which is like really, really beautiful. It's beautiful. I love that. So it is a staff pick. Oh, I, I think so. But if you have yeah. anything to say for or against, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. No, I'm I'm firmly on this. I propose that we, on Paul's birthday every year, we rewatch it and find Honestly. new things about it. And I have to I have to thank Paul for this, for his insistence, because uh, this truly was an experience. And for me, it's an easy one of the easiest. Well, Lionheart was a very easy. And Lionheart was an easy one too. <laughs> Honestly, Imran, the core is in our staff pick shelf. Lionheart, sudden death. We've got a few really. I tried to put street tees in there, but didn't make it. But okay, Uh, it was close. (laughs) But this to me is a very, very easy staff pick choice. Yeah, yeah, same. This is a beautiful movie. I'm so glad it exists, and I'm so glad it speaks to so many people in different ways. Uh, Just what a delight! I'm so proud of it on our staff pick shelf. And that is what we have, dear listeners, dear friends. That is what we have for you this week. Thank you so much to my co-host. Thank you, Fernanda. Thank you, Imran, for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this movie with us. It has been very fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And thank y'all at home for listening. Thank you to our producer, Paul. Gross necklaces to my Really good choice, Paul. Uh, for all the help in making this show not only not suck, but also, we like to say, kind of rule. We would also love to hear from you, dear listener. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, please send us an email to YLTSI. That's you love to see it. Again, YLTSI at fanbyte.com. You can send us reviews, recommendations, questions, any general feedback. And we might even read it on the show. And we would really, really appreciate it. If you like the work we do and want to show us some support, please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify. It goes a long, long way in helping us out and helping other people find our delightful neighborhood video store. And of course, you can find links to our other podcasts, our Discord, and our socials in the show notes, which go up on fanbyte.com. Until next time, you love to see it. <laughs>